Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to this Baseball America podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All of our podcasts and Facebook Live broadcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com for hats, shirts, and much more today. I'm John Manuel, joined by Kyle Glazer. At some point, J.J. Cooper will bust in and make his presence known. Uh, Kyle, we had a... Uh, we've got two championship series going. We've got two 2-0 championship series going. Astros up 2-0 on the Yankees. Okay. We've got the Dodgers two games up on the Cubs. And we had a couple of rarities, I guess, this weekend. I, I'm not sure how rare those two things are. But we had the first walk-off home run for a Dodger postseason player in 29 years. The last one fairly famous. Um, and we had a complete game in, in a major league playoff game. Which one shocked you more, the Justin Turner uh, walk-off off John Lackey face or Justin Verlander going nine for the Astros? I don't know if shocked is the right word because you knew each player was capable of doing these things. I think just by the nature of today's game, Verlander going the complete game, not that I would have put it past him, right. but just we see so few guys get the chance to do that even if they are rolling. My natural inclination would have been, if you told me, so when someone's going to hit a walk-off and someone's going to pitch a complete game, I would have put the walk-off as a higher probability. I, that's, that's a good way to put it. The amazing thing to me is that the Astros and Cubs are certainly thought of as very analytically inclined clubs. And both of them did things that the analytics would say, don't do that, you know? The complete game, go, how many times through the lineup did Verlander go? Three or four, I forget. You know? I think it was four. I was four. 124 pitches. The analytics would probably tell you, do not do that, even though they wanted to give Ken Giles rest too. And so I understand that. The rest of their bullpen. So the, these two teams, the Cubs and the Astros, in different positions with their bullpens, I think, a little constricted right now. And the Astros, seems like it's more like, okay, we're not 100% sure about all of our setup guys. They have a lot of faith in Ken Giles. Joe Madden, meanwhile, is like, Wade Davis is over there, and, you know, I'd like him to get a save, not come in here when the game is tied. So that seemed like it was he tied his own hands behind his back as opposed to the Astros just seemingly making a choice of we wanted Verlander to be the bridge to Giles, period. You know, the thing is, these one-size-fit-all rules with some of the analytics don't always pan out. you got to remember, Justin Verlander, yes, generally speaking, starting pitchers that third, fourth time through the order, they, you know, are less effective. Justin Verlander isn't one of those guys. John Smoltz talked about on the broadcast. His average allowed the second time through the order is the exact same as the, uh, the third time is as good a, as the second time. And he's They're, always been a guy who you see the 99s later in the game more than early, so, which know, is always so one of the reasons I love you have Verlander. To, you have to understand that the analytics apply a lot of times generally, but there are always exceptions. You have to look at the player individually, and mm -hmm. I think that's where sometimes it gets lost. The fact that Justin Verlander was pumping strong, and he's okay. He's one of those few select special guys oh, yeah. who can go 100, 110, 120, and not lose his effectiveness. And we've seen him do it throughout his career. No it's not like he's a guy that's a five-inning guy who just had the game of his life. I mean, it was an incredible game, but again, he's 
you know, a borderline Hall of Fame candidate. I, I would say he is a Hall of Fame candidate. So I would actually say that he's more than a candidate. I think, I, and that's the thing to me. Is I the, would vote for him. No yeah, question. I think the uh, yeah, that, that's actually kind of a direction I wanted to go in. And he's thirty-four years old, so he's got who knows how many more years he's got uh, left. His contract runs through twenty nineteen. I think he'll probably pitch more than two more years. You know, he uh, we'll see kind of how he adjusts as a pitcher once he loses his velocity. He certainly hasn't lost it yet at this point. It seemed it looked like, like he did at one point, and then he got it back. Right, so that he was done in like 2014 and 15. 2014, he had the 450 ERA. 2015, only made 20 starts. He's wore back the last two seasons. And uh, J.J. Cooper and I had this preseason debate. Who would you rather have for the next couple of years? Would you rather have Sale? Would you rather have Verlander? Certainly, Sale's younger, and I think Chris Sale had a better regular season. Justin Verlander's starting to make my case look pretty good. Since he got to September, since uh, since he got to the Astros, um, you know, won five regular season decisions with a 106 ERA, and has uh, been you know a very interesting postseason for him. He didn't pitch great against the Red Sox, obviously was straight fire against the Yankees. And Kyle, this has been a fascinating series to me. Uh, so low scoring, so tense. These first two games, both two one for the Astros. Um, and the difference so far, besides because both teams have pitched well, because of the difference so far has been the Astros' athleticism, both on the defensive end, but especially running the bases and with Baseball America's Major League Player of the Year, Jose Altuve, uh, really showing the way. I mean, you just don't see dudes score from first on balls that don't get to the wall very often, like he did in, uh, in that crucial uh, you know game one. Athleticism, speed, and fundamentals. We've talked about this again and again and again and again. The team that makes the fewest mistakes win. It's not yeah. as simple as, oh, this pitcher's better than this pitcher, so this guy should this Unless team you're the Nationals, win. where the Cubs made all kinds of mistakes and the Nationals still couldn't capitalize. Right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, we've talked, it's been written about the Astros, you know, it's been tight turns on the bases. It's been, you know, fantastic. You know, the relays have been picturesque. Yeah. I mean, you the talk throw about by Marvin a, Gonzalez from a, left field. A baseball pure, you know, pure baseball standpoint. That's as gorgeous as any any home run that's been hit this postseason. I, I agree. What the Astros have been able to do. So they're yes, they're athletic. They're incredibly quick, just as a team, everything they do. But it's also precise. Yeah. And you compare it to the Yankees. Execution. And you compare it to the Yankees, where the little things, whether it's you know Judge maybe not getting the ball in as quickly as he should. You know, Didi did get hit a little bit by Correa, but he also kind of had his back turned. It wasn't the cleanest relay going in. Gary Sanchez obviously not handling it. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of set up. He took the relay right next to the bag. Right. It's not now. Some of that is you probably didn't expect Altuve to go, so you have to adjust a little bit. But those little things, and not to, uh, Brett Gardner getting thrown out at third base, and he even admitted he didn't hit the bag as quickly as uh, tightly as he should have. Those little things add up, especially when you've got guys like Dallas Keuchel and Justin Verlander on the mound. Yeah. All those fundamental things, and on top of it, the Yankees have struck out. 34.2% of their plate appearances, not not kind of the wild card game, the ALDS and the ALCS. 34.2% as a team. It's incredible. If you don't put the ball in play and the team on the other side is playing cleaner fundamental baseball than you are, plus you're on the road, right? you're not going to win. And, and the Yankees have come, despite those things, have been in both games, have had chances to win Which both is a games. testament to their pitching staff, which has done an excellent job. Their pitching has been outstanding, and they do have, in my mind, you go to Game 3, they have the advantage on the mound. They have Sabathia versus Charlie Morton. That's your Game 3 matchup. 
I'd rather have Sabathia. I mean, he's been, cool. speaking Agreed. of Hall of Famers. Agreed. You know, to me, you look at 21st century starting pitching, you can't get more than five deep for me, career-wise, uh, without getting to CeCe. Another guy who was a Baseball America Major League Player of the Year back in 2008 when we really just, like, said, ah, yeah, there are other great players had great years. This guy put the Milwaukee Brewers on his back and carried him over the finish line, and he was our Major League Player of the Year. Absolutely. So maybe we went a little narrative that year, but uh, I don't think we went narrative with Jose Altuve this year. I think we had a ton of good candidates. But Altuve just kind of, again, showing it to me, uh, in those first two games, the de- like you said, the precision, and he was the most viable player, like the most the player with the most uh, who directly uh, contributed the most to the Astros' success this year. I still don't think he's their best player. I think that's Carlos Correa. And I just love Carlos Correa. First time you see Aroldis Chapman, first time I think he said he's faced him in his whole career, and swings. Uh, I think he fouled off the first pitch, would be swung and missed, and he go and he said after the game. Well, I need to get on top of that fastball. So then I just serve one right center field. It's like, I need to get on top of that 100-plus mile an hour fastball. Hey, it was only I'll 99. Do it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable how yeah, no, that, that guy makes, how easy he makes baseball look. And that is that was really the first significant decision of Jeff Luno's administration in 2012. Uh, you know, 2012 draft had some pretty good dudes in it. But at the top of the draft, number one prospect for us was Byron Buxton. And you look at Byron Buxton and you say, he plays now. Took him a little while to get there, but you see number one overall pick tools. You see number one top 100 prospect tools, and the performance started to match it this year. But Carlos Correa, who signed for less, was the absolute right choice at the time, and that no was question. that was the first choice that the Luno administration had to make. Uh, Bobby Heck was assistant GM and in charge of the draft that year, along with Mike Elias, who's now assistant GM. Um, so it was a team decision to execute that draft, and they went Correa. They got Lance McCullers Jr. Uh, Rio Ruiz, that draft, they've had some hiccups in the past since then, and there were clearly some pieces to this Astros team that were there before the Luno administration. Keuchel and Altuve and Springer all acquired pre-Luno, but that was their first decision. That's about as, that's like a, a four, that's like a Joey Gallo home run. It is long, it is deep, it is majestic, and it is no doubt. So uh, there are people in the industry, I still hear it, Kyle, who don't love the Astros front office. I would say I used to count myself in that category. But that team is just fairly impeccably constructed. They are a really fun team to watch, even when the Yankees are stifling the league's best offense because of all the things you said. Because they're not just a one-note team. They're not just shifts. They're not just this or that. You can't really just put them in any one category they can do a lot of things really really well and they're just on top of it they're really talented and a lot of that too coaching staff give yeah. aj hinch and his staff credit absolutely they talked a little about they do you know they call it the routine maintenance they're every three thousand miles and it's kind of funny to me how many fans out there and it's generally people who haven't played the game assume oh these are big leaguers they don't need to take in field they don't need to you know work on their relays they absolutely do like any other human being if you stop practicing a skill you're going to be rusty at it. The only people I know who think that seem to be writers, not... I don't think that, fans think that. I really I, don't. I, I've, I've, I've come across a few. I don't know. Maybe well, They read the wrong writers. Probably. <laughs> it's a situation where, and but you know, every team that goes out and says, we're going to emphasize this and focus on it. You know, BP and our practice isn't just going to be BP at 50%, take a few grounders off of fungos that are coming off, you know, nice and soft. I, you know, that's not what they do. They... AJ Hinch talked about us. They go in, they work on this stuff. So when it comes up in a big situation, 
It's automatic. Player development has to continue at the major league level. And the Astros are a great example of that. We mentioned Marvin Gonzalez. Again, Jose Altuve did not come to the major leagues fully formed. It's a 200-hit machine. His first year was solid. His second year in the major leagues wasn't as good as his rookie year. He continues to make the adjustments. He continues to get better. Um, I would say that's true of even some of their older players like a Josh Reddick. Uh, I think he just got better. I mean, I think he was a good free agent signing. He was a good player before. He got better. Um, speaking of analytically inclined <laughs> front offices, the Dodgers, 2-0. Um, you know, Kyle, we talked down the stretch in September um, about the Dodgers' struggles and just that long losing streak where they lose 15 out of 16. 16 of 17. 16 of 17. Uh, what was broken? What could they do to fix it? Here they're playing against the Cubs without Corey Seager, jammed, uh, you know, slid into a base hard in the, the last game of the division series and the plate hurt his back. His back. Yeah, yeah and, and they had extra time off. He got an epidural. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Corey Seager, a very important player to me, gave gave North Carolina a shortstop for its future North Carolina World Baseball Classic team when the United States dissolves into a fifty different parts. So we we needed a shortstop. So um, you know, we we've. The, the, this is not optimal. Things were not setting up optimally for the Dodgers. Uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw gave up four home runs in his first playoff start. You know, barely got through five innings in his second playoff start, and yet they're two and zero. And they have, I will say, the Dodgers again, pretty complete roster is what we're seeing. Number one, number two, Kenley Jansen. I mean, I think we already knew what a monster this guy was, but my it's still, God, he's ridiculous. He's one of those. There's some certain guys in baseball that you know how good they are. They still make your jaws drop. He's one of them. He is one of them. I mean, you know, and that that fella, his cutters last year were more uh, 97. This year he's down to 94, 95. Guess what? Doesn't matter. The pitch is still unhittable. I mean, this is a team. And this is, we talked about during the summer. You and I had some debates on our Facebook Lives about, you said, the Nats, I, I think the Nats are a better team line up with them. And I agree that if you kind of did it, okay, this guy versus this guy, this guy versus this guy. But being our West Coast guy here and watching the hmm. Dodgers extensively and just watching the flow when they were going, there was something complete. Just everything worked for them. The guys who were stepping up and making big contributions, even if they weren't the guys you expected, it continually kept happening. So for me, that's what made them the best team and the team that I thought was right. going to be you know, the team to get to the World Series. They went through that slump. We talked about part of the reason was they were playing their JV guys a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But for this right here... For Corey Seager to go be off the NLCS roster mm -hmm. completely, and like you said, for Kershaw not to go out and be himself. Right. I mean, these are huge, huge wins for the Dodgers. And again, it's different guys contributing different nights. You know, Chris Taylor and Yasiel Puig two nights ago, Justin Turner last night. Right. And to me, what really set the tone, and this is you know on on record, you can go back and listen to this. When Justin Turner hit that home run in Game One of the NLDS against Taiwan Walker. That, to me, was they're going to roll because mm -hmm. the team goes as he goes. There were nerves. As soon as he did that, you could see they were going to play loose. They're like, all right, we got this. And when that clicked for the Dodgers, they're, look, they're undefeated in the postseason. Right. And they're playing I, good teams. Arizona and Chicago are good teams. And, you know, are they going to, you know, run completely unbeaten through the postseason? Odds are against it, but... I really like how they match up now with Hugh Darvish and Alex Wood. They did a nice job extending this rotation. You know, mm -hmm. last year or two years ago, it would have been crud. We have to throw Scott Casimir, Brandon McCarthy, or Hunjin Ryu. It's right. not. It's you know, this is this is as good a team as the Dodgers have had during this stretch of five straight division titles. I would agree. This is the health. You know, well, it was the healthiest. Then Seager going down is yeah. a problem. But at least on the pitching side, it has been. They're in great shape, and I think that 
they're pouncing on opponents' mistakes and their opponents' weaknesses. The Cubs' bullpen, we talked about this. Yeah. Not only, you know, it was going to be a weak point coming out of the NLDS, and it's not like it was its strongest point anyway. Right. It was, they, the, weak, it was the weakest point of their team last year when they won the World Series, which is the depth of their bullpen. And I would say it's the weakest point of their team during the regular season this year. And obviously, and that's part of the reason now, I, again, we can get deeper into this, you know, they bring in John Lackey there. There's a lot of reasons I don't like that decision. Um, there is also that, you know, got to take into account, they're short on bodies. Yeah. I mean, if you have that perfect bridge guy, awesome, great. But bringing in the starter who's never relieved before, back-to-back days, in the middle of the inning, like there's three levels of <laughs> yeah. badness there. That's the, that is the amazing part. You just hit on every single one. Meanwhile, the body they did have... Who was rested was Wade Davis. You have a day off the next day. He didn't pitch in game one. He has yet to appear in this series. And, and, and it, that, it, is, that is really stunning. You can't go back home down 2-0. Why is Wade Davis not in the game? I really don't see any logical reason. J.J. Cooper. Why is Wade Davis not in the game? Well, I why think, is Brian Dunsing in the game? Because Brian Dunsing's Dunsing been good. pitched well. He shouldn't Dunsing. have started necessarily started the inning, but... Uh, why was John Lackey, you just said, starting pitcher coming in in relief, back-to-back days, and coming in the middle of the inning. All those things are reasons not to use John Lackey. I mean, Joe Madden just... So it seems like Joe Madden like, did that almost... It's almost like his contrarian impulse just had to be assuaged. I must do the thing. I'm going to be the one to thread this needle. I really can't think of another reason. Either that or John Lackey said, I'm going to kick your butt after this game if you don't pitch. The only other thing I can think of that would make any sense is if Wade Davis went to Joe Madden's office and said, Skip, those three or four innings, that that, that long outing I had in in D.C., my arm's feeling tender. I'll give it a go if I can, but I'm not feeling 100%. And and that's a conversation between him and Madden. If that's a conversation that took place and we just, the general public doesn't know about it, Fine, whatever. But short of that, you know, yeah, again, no, when, when, when John Lackey is the option that you have otherwise. Because, again, it goes back to who else you got. You know, everyone was screwing up Buck Showalter and Ubaldo Jimenez and not using Britain last year. I didn't have a problem with it when he went with, when he, you know, Darren O'Day and Brad Brack, too. Other guys Bonifa- who were good. Yes. Really good players. And even Dunsing, to a degree, was okay. It's when you went with Ubaldo Jimenez. Exactly. Over Zach Britton. Right. There are Sim- arguments for those other relievers over a tired right. reliever. Sim- or those kind of things. Right. Similar to this. You know, Dunsing pitched okay. I'm not guys mad doing at that. The, guys doing the jobs they normally do. Right. This, this, this however, was... Uh, for the reasons I've stated, extraordinarily questionable. And again, curious. If, Very if, curious. If, if Wade Davis went in and told Madden, my arm's tender, I'm not feeling great, fine, okay, maybe there's a, that's the backstory. But short of that, you can't which, have that happen. Which I'll say, if that's the case, then it is Joe Madden's job to wear it. Like that's, that's why you get paid the money to manage is to basically, the same way that Dusty got in trouble, which really came down to, no, 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 if Strasburg tells me he can't go, I'll wear it. You know, right. instead of him, even if it makes it seem like that I completely don't have any clue what's going on. That that is something a manager's job to do, but you do look at it now and the other part of it is is that I mean I know y'all probably talked about this already, but Red Turner. Yes, no, we started yeah. talking about this the fact this. that he is and as Kyle said, he is the heart of that team and uh, you know, the fact that you have a guy, uh, I think this matters a lot more to fans than it matters to other people and it certainly matters to writers. But you have a guy who could say, yeah, I was four years old in my grandma's house watching Kirk Gibson. You know, it's my earliest baseball memory 
Um, that guy's a Dodger fan, you know, grew up, you know, Southern California baseball guy, a Fullerton guy, won a national championship there. Mayfair High in Lakewood. And, and now to uh, to come up and, uh, you know, do it for the Dodgers. I mean, every, I think people know, people who listen to this podcast know his story. Uh, that doesn't make any less remarkable or any less good of a story, JJ, because to me, um, on a team with a lot of other higher-priced or higher-profile <laughs> guys, Kyle already said it, he is the heart and soul of that team, and uh, the home run he hit off Walker in the first game of the Arizona series, I think Kyle's right. That really did seem like it just set the Dodgers up and just put everyone at ease. All right, let's follow this guy who we already follow. It does, and you also have to credit a guy. We have two, the two unlikely stars. You have him and Al, you know, you have Altuve in the American League series. You have, you know, Turner, these middle infielders who really no one would have when they were signed, when they were drafted. I mean, the Reds, it was a great draft pick. Clearly, you know, no one at the time, they thought, the guys I did, the Reds list back then, yeah. the guys in the Reds organization who really liked Turner thought that he was a big leaguer. That no one, if you just said, well, I'm going to project that he'll be one of the, you know, better power hitters in the league, and he'll be, right. you know, like a, uh, a, a cornerstone middle of the, you know, lineup kind of guy with some, you know, earlier in his career, some defensive versatility to go with it. Yeah, there was no, I mean, clearly, no one with the Reds, no one with the Mets. No one with the Orioles. And no one, you know, with the (laughs) Orioles. And I would even wager no one with the Dodgers when they acquired him. No one was saying, this is this guy. But he also is, this goes back to hitting what the, the advances we've seen as far as the scientific approach to hitting. You know, guys have always tweaked stances and all that. But Justin Turner is a different hitter now than he was when he was coming up in the minors. And he's turned himself into a vastly superior hitter to what he used to be. Over the last four years, you know, all the pick, pick whatever stat you want to pick. He's one of the top five third basemen, and basically, it's Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, and Justin Turner is up there in that right. with those in group the of guys. Group I mean, but the guys who are more, uh, who were more, more was expected of. Yeah, you know, Evan Longoria was the what the third overall pick in a draft, and, and immediate, uh, you know, immediate star. And drafted around the same time, you know, Turner was a college pick in 2006, 2005, you know, 2006. He was picked twice. He was eligible, uh, unsigned as a 29th, 29th round pick of the Yankees. I'm sure there's a Yankees blog that has written about that. And the Angels drafted him out of high school. They did uh, in the eighth round. I didn't realize he was drafted that high. I do like this line from our 2005 draft scouting report. One scout compared Turner favorably with Red Sox prospect Dustin Pedroia. Um, like Pedroia makes all the plays defensively, even at short Thanks to superior footwork and profiles as an above-average defender on the right side of the infield. Thanks to his fringy arm. Average runner with excellent instincts. Definitely the instincts, but again, uh, and he had a steady, gritty career. Saved his best for last. Slugged 500 as a, uh, in his last year at Fullerton. But still, no one saw this power coming, and he did it. You know, this is not a guy who just you look at him and say, oh, man, of course. You, like, you look at Yasiel Puig, and you're like, Yes, I understand that when you hit the ball a mile high, you're going to bat flip a little bit and expect it to get out even when it walks. No, 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 no. I did Puig, love Puig and Keith Olbermann going Puig back. Puig has explained, no, no, no. I bat flip the singles and doubles. The homers, no need to bat That flip. was the bat toss. It wasn't right. a flip. It was yeah. the toss. I did like a, yeah, I'm done with you, bat, you know. Um, that was a fun, that was a fun repartee with him. And, no question. Uh, self-proclaimed policeman of all baseball history, Keith Olbermann. So I enjoyed that. I'm on Team Puig for that, despite the hair. Whose hair is worse? Red Turner's or Puig's? 
or I guess you guys can say better. I mean, tur- Turner's is uh, it's pretty it's pretty nasty. I had a good. I have to find this tweet now. <laughs> where someone compared his tear to a bon- <laughs> homeless man at Bonnaroo. I think is what it was. And yet that guy likes the because t- I, I think I just tweeted that he's as good a player as his beard is bad, which uh, you know people seem to like his beard. Um, so, I think I called it a homeless beard, and a Johnny Morrell said, "Shout out to homeless beard after the after the um, after the home run." Johnny Morrell, Angels beard. prospect, Johnny Morrell. No, no, uh, it's Ajani Morel. Oh, okay. A J A N N I. On the Twitter machine, uh, gave me the shout out, and I, you know, to me, uh, I just don't. I don't remember a, a player with that kind of facial hair at as a not, professional uh, athlete. I was gonna say at least not not Narda. Maybe back in the uh, the the Irish, you know, the Irish of the late eighteen nineties, <laughs> early early nineteen hundreds. No, I think it was. But that was I more mustache. Yeah, exactly. It was like up here, but it wasn't down below the the, the beard yeah. line. So. Hey, you know what? If you if you're gonna, you know, it's kind of become his thing a little bit. I hit oh, big, I hit, I hit big pull side home runs, and I have a big mangy red beard. Though this one straight center field. That one was just dead center. But dead it was center. It was a lackey 92 mile an hour fastball center cut. I mean, that was you. Would, you saw the pitch on replay too with the strike something. I mean, that's Justin Turner's not gonna miss that. Very few major league hitters are gonna miss that, especially him. Shout out to the fan in center field who made the catch nice over catch. the railing. It was a nice catch. So, uh, Kyle, going forward, I mean, these two 2-0 teams, prohibitive favorites? Is there, is there a scenario where you see the Cubs winning 4-5 or five from the Dodgers or the Yankees winning 4-5 or five from the Astros? I don't see it with the Cubs. They're tired. The Dodgers are just the better team. I think that's correct. The Astros, and again, this is me... Being the Astros doubter because of my issues with the back end of their pitching staff a little bit, and I've I, I wear it, I own it that hmm. I'm still picking the Astros to win this thing. Um, if you were to t- you know, I would not be shocked in the least if the Yankees come out to that bandbox that is Yankee Stadium <laughs> yeah. and take Char- really and take Charlie it? Morton and Brad Peacock to the woodshed and hit you know two low line drives that scrape over the wall in right field and then. A, f- a glorified fly ball that just kind of falls in that short little area and left. Yeah. Uh, that would not shock me at all. To me, the Dodgers are gonna should wrap this up before they get back to L.A. It's just gross to me that the, that the new Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, I mean like two iterations ago, which I never went to, you know, <laughs> that was renovated when I was three years old. So <laughs> yeah. to the older fans, sorry, I, I really have no... But when the monuments were in play, that's kind of stupid when you think about it. Oh, it's crazy. It's kind but of funny when, to watch the right, old video of. Right, but when I mean, you look at the old... But even So the modern Yankee Stadium 2, that ballpark, yeah, it was short and right field, but it played fairer no, than this the new is, one. This is ridiculous. The new one's just kind of like, how can baseball's... Show place, flagship franchise, most storied franchise, just give away home runs like they're candy. I, I, that part, it does, it bothers me, um, probably more than it should. But you know what? There are a lot of ballparks today that give away home runs like candy. Philadelphia, Philadelphia that right, that short right field. I mean, Citizens Bank to me is, is equally as bad, though. At least their hall's, wall's a little bit higher out yeah. there. Yeah, well, Cayman Yards, you know, started this kind of trend 25 years ago. Uh, started a lot of good trends, but that's one that, that was not as good. Uh, so I, I, I'm I, with you. I think the Yankees have a better chance to come back because they've pitched so well, um, and they have things they can do better. And at some point, you figure, especially in their ballpark, Judge and or Sanchez will get into one. But Judge has <laughs> has not been. He he's contributed the most to that 34% swing and miss rate. And hasn't uh, been good. The other, you know, the other one of the other early moves of the Luno administration was Brent Strom, who was the minor league pitching coordinator at the time for the Cardinals coming over as the major league pitching coach for the Astros. 
if you were going to pick one person out of the Cardinal system that you could bring with you, Jeff Luno, I think I think he picked really two or three significant ones. I think Elias came with him, Sig Megdal, and then Brent Strom. He chose wisely. You know, like, I don't mean to sound like the old dude in Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Last Crusade. I guess actually I do. Uh, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. <laughs> I love that movie. I know the first one was great. For some reason, I prefer the third. Uh, I guess it's just Sean Connery, but... And I also love that that line. You chose poorly. And Absolutely, chose it's so a classic. It's classic, and and he chose wisely when he went and got those guys. So, uh, we'll see if the Astros and uh, and Dodgers continue to choose wisely. Uh, we'll have much more, obviously, all week. Many more podcasts to come here at baseballamerica.com. So we want to thank everyone for listening today. Today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at baseballism.com and enter the offer code of BA Ship to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. We'll be back tomorrow with another Baseball America postseason podcast. For J.J. Cooper and Kyle Glazer, I'm John Manuel. See you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.